Welcome to the first episode of Sunday at 10. I am very excited to kickstart this project and dive into the topic of women in film. Um, on this show, I will be discussing topics surrounding women in film, such as gender inequality, gender diversity, and overall just appreciating female filmmakers, um, mostly all things film. Um, on today's episode specifically, we will be talking about the popular Netflix show Grace and Frankie, and basically how the mature female uh, character is constructed within this specific show um, and also how the mature female character is constructed in other things. Um, here to discuss this topic with me is Tess Owen. Um, not only is she a fourth year journalism major with a specialization in, in excuse me, global awareness um, at Seattle U, but she's also one of my best friends. Tess, hello. Hi, Welcome. how's everyone doing? Good. Great. Good. Let's hope we got some listeners I mean yeah so um so let's talk about Grace and Frankie <laughs> so I just wanted to bring up first of all what the most prominent part about this show that I noticed straight off the bat is ageism in Hollywood so let's talk a little bit about that yeah um well for those of you that don't know Grace and Frankie is on Netflix um it just I guess it just came out with its fourth season, which is crazy to think that it's we been on for so long. We binge-watched it in, like, yeah. a week. Not awesome. even. Like, three days. We yeah, love this show. For sure. Um, so, Grace and Frankie stars Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Sam Waterston, and Martin Sheen, which is just already, like, an all-star cast. Um, Lily Tomlin and, I, I believe, Martin Sheen works together, and so did Jane Fonda and Sam Waterston in the newsroom. Um, but it basically tells the story of two, I guess, quote-unquote frenemies who are forced to live together when their husbands suddenly announce that they are gay and plan to marry each other. Yeah. So already, like, a super interesting mm -hmm. synopsis. Like, it's just weird, you know, the storyline already. Um, but it was very intriguing. So it first came out in 2015 on Netflix um, and was actually created and written by uh, Martha Kaufman and Howard J. Morris. Um, and since it began, the show has been nominated for numerous award shows, such as the Emmys, the Golden Globes. Um, and fun fact, the creator, uh, Martha Kaufman, of, um, is famously known for being a writer on the show Friends, which I just oh, found out. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, she was only on there for, like, hmm. is that 10 years? Yeah, 10 years. Yeah. And I love Friends. I mean, who doesn't? I just rewatched like the entire thing I think last year and it was like yeah. one of the best things I've ever done <laughs> it was great um so yeah so, so why did you like the show so I really like how they deconstruct sort of your usual typical older women you know you really get this established mindset I think watching shows that older women are frail maybe or need help there's that common storyline of them having to be taken care of by their sons and daughters or even husbands so I think this was really refreshing in the sense that we see two older women really making an impact on each other's lives really stepping outside of the box in how we how we see them. And I think a big aspect to this is their sexuality. And I mean, obviously 
this wasn't something I was even expecting uh, straight off the bat because it doesn't come in for, I think, till later in season one where these two women create a actual dildo business, a sex Is toy. That season one? I think it's the end of season one. Yeah, because they're, like, trying to find something right. to actually do with their right. lives. Right, and, and they come up with this idea that women, that older women don't have, there's a market. There's a market for these older women, essentially, is what they establish. And so a lot of themes are brought up, and the characters actually bring them up themselves. It's not, like, hidden in the in the television series or anything, yeah, they like bring it up themselves. Yeah. They pretty much lay it out for you saying like, yeah, older women are like, have boyfriends too. And ha- are sexual beings yeah. and have lives apart from their children and their ex-husbands who turn gay for each other. Um, but yeah, essentially saying they're, they're their own individuals. They're creating a friendship on their own while also exploring themselves and their personalities. So I think it's great. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that there is an ongoing stereotype in a lot of films and and television shows that the older woman can't really do a lot of things on her own. And like you said, like they can have boyfriends, they can have lives, they can be sexual beings. and, And I don't think that there are a lot of films and television shows that show older women expressing their sexuality and being open about it and I feel like there is a stereotype that or at least a stigma that that women older women have to be taken care of and that they're fragile and that they they have to stop doing things and living their lives at a certain age whereas um, Martin Sheen and Sam Waterston's characters are doing great and they're living their lives and you know they they are exploring their sexuality as well, which is which is great. But you don't often see the older, mature woman being able to express herself or being given these roles where where they can express themselves, like in Grace and Frankie. And even when they do, they are kind of like pushed back against. You know, the divorce wasn't such a bad thing. I think that the bad thing was the fact that yes, they they were cheating on their wives for. 20 plus years right but I kind of feel like it maybe gave them a second chance question mark yeah I think that in a sense they were kind of given a second chance in a weird way I think both of them were I think we also see a lot of LGBTQ themes in this of the two husbands who fall in love and you're kind of you're kind of I I at least was struggling because I was happy for them but I was also struggling with the fact that they did cheat on their wives for 20 years and you really get the sense from Grace and Frankie that I mean they didn't see it coming essentially so I think that's a struggle that the audience has throughout the series um but anyway back to Grace and Frankie I think their storyline is really interesting because yeah again you you do see them sort of struggle with this individuality and this like refreshing start that comes from a lot of pain that they encounter. So they sort of are renewed in life, even though they're older women. I think they're in their 70s or at least 60s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, I mean, yeah, they start dating again. They renew a friendship, a very unlikely friendship. They're both very opposite. Grace is very uptight. Low-key and alcoholic. High-key and alcoholic. <laughs> she, like, doesn't eat ever. <laughs> and eat. she makes a point of saying, And it's I hilarious. And Frankie is just a total hippie who 
Who I, mean, I almost want to really be like Frankie. Oh yeah, no, I like, I, I like really wish that I could just miss her spirit. I'm pretty sure I am, but it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. No, I mean I agree. I think I think that this is a point in their lives when they get to reclaim themselves, reclaim themselves as new women, and kind of go back to figuring out who they were, who they wanted to be, um, who they get to be outside of their marriages, you know, and how they get to live their new lives. Um, and I think it's so great that, that they got paired together. I mean, their situation is obviously not ideal, but, but in the end, it turns out really great for them and they, they are struggling together and they're doing, um, they have new opportunities together and they're doing great things. Um, I really resonate with Frankie though. I think that because she, she does love Saul and Saul loves her back. And you can kind of see their back and forth struggle with, well, I still love you, but I also love love my new life. And so I, I think that that struggle is hard and I, I resonate with Frankie emotionally. And so I love that they, they have that side of her. Um, I also think it's interesting with Grace um, because right away she like hates Robert and despises him and she's like how can you do this to me people are going to be talking about me people are going to be talking about us like she's really really concerned with her image and I love that this show shows you know both sides of the spectrum if this was like a a usual occurrence but it shows two two different sides so two different women who are accepting the fact that they still love their ex-husband and that you know they they don't forgive them but they're still the emotions are still there and then you have grace on the other hand who is just filled with anger and rage and she's like well you know f him i don't need him and 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 she just she reclaims herself and really helps frankie do the same thing too and i think that they support themselves um sorry they support each other i do think it's interesting though um that grace is so focused on her her figure and her appearance at first, and then you slowly see her, you know, come down from that and, and really focus on what is important in life. And then, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, um, in the end, she finds someone finds someone good. So I'm happy for how the show's going so far. Yeah, she's out of her comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah, I like that the show just kind of explores all those you know, that the mature female character can actually not be, like, labeled as, like, oh, she's an old woman. She can't enjoy life anymore. She can't yeah. really, she can't look good. She can't date. They, they can't really, they really grab her. life by yeah, the balls. they do. They just, like, they're, you know, the writers and the creators are, like, these are, these are two women. It's realistic. Who, yeah, it really is. And I think that's refreshing because I come from a family where strong women, and I know you do, too, Um, but strong women really like rule the playing field in my family and especially my grandma who is older, but she also like doesn't act like she's older. And I think it's just refreshing to see that on television because you don't, because you don't, I mean, you just really don't. Yeah. Like I don't see my grandma as frail and she doesn't see herself as frail. And I don't think she should be, I don't think that the world needs to see all old women as frail because they're not. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're so independent in the show and the, you know, 
I mean, towards, well, we don't want to give any spoilers away, but towards the end of this season is the first time they've ever really talked about, like, well, can these two women live on their own? And should they be? Should they be doing all these independent things? Should they be driving? And then you kind of don't really realize that until they bring it up. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't really feel like you're watching a show about these two older women. I feel like I'm just kind of, like, watching this hilarious sitcom with Mm -hmm. these two amazing actresses. And they bounce off of each other mm-hmm. so well. I mean, the writing is, is great, but I also feel like they really bring the script to life and they just, they just, they do their thing and they're, you know, their, what is it called? Their chemistry. Business. <laughs> yeah. Their chemistry together as actor, actresses is great. Um, and, and the fact that they create their own business is, which is actually so smart. And I... I just, I thought that that was such a creative thing, you know, because they struggle with like masturbating themselves and, and just like thinking about that as a market and Grace is already a businesswoman and Frankie's just like a supporter and promoter of all these things. So I think it's a great show, but yeah, but I mean, you don't really see any more like creative characters for the older female. No. Like I mean, you, I you think you think do, that. but I, I don't think that they're as dynamic. I think that we definitely have seen older women, like, sort of shown in this light of, of strength, but I also think that they don't have, first of all, they don't have lead roles. They don't have yeah. entire shows written about them, but they also don't have, they're not dynamic like Grace and Frankie are. Yeah. Uh, they're not shown in a, in a complex way where, yes, maybe they are losing a bit of themselves, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they, they can't be independent and they can't still be human. Yeah. And it really humanizes elderly people in general, not just women. Yeah. Uh, because we also see that, we see that with the men as well. We see that with uh, Saul and, what's his name? Oh, man. Yeah, we see that yeah. with, the, with the two husbands. <laughs> I mean... Robert. Robert. Saul Saul and Robert. Robert. Yeah. I think, uh... And I feel like, I mean, I don't know about you, (coughs) sorry to cut you off, but I feel like, I mean, they are treated way better. Right. And that's the, I think that's, yeah. yeah. That's the the irritating part. Yeah, yeah. That's the irritating, I always, like, you know, I always get mad in the middle of the show. I'm like, are you kidding me? Because... like, they're doing so great. Right. They have a big house, and they're, like perfectly fine and they're meeting with this really attractive guy and and he's starring in a lead play and all yeah. this stuff but and nobody's questioning their ability right, to live to their take life. care of themselves right. and to be independent uh even though even though they struggle with their relationship they're not struggling with being being independent because people trust that they can be independent which i think is just a common theme that we see with men and women in general, and especially especially as they age and uh, mm-hmm. become elderly, um, there's definitely that, that misconception. I also think it's interesting the children and their response to, to their mother's aging. It's, yeah. I mean, it's hilarious, their relationship. And the children in general are hilarious because yeah. their chemistry and their relationship amongst themselves. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. And I, I actually really love um, how dynamic uh, Brooklyn Deckler and um, June Raphael's character are. And they played um, Grace and Frank, Grace's daughters. 
They're both Grace's daughters. Yeah. Um, I just love how dynamic their characters are. Obviously, Brie is the more edgy one, and she's... I love you know, her. she's, yeah, she's not like your typical female image of this woman that society has kind of placed. Like, she, she doesn't really want kids, you know, and she does, she's kind of not scared of the idea of marriage, but she's just like living her life. You know? I think that there are a certain, I mean, it's not perfect, and I think that yeah. there are some stereotypes with you have, you have Brie being the daughter who owns the company. But is icy, doesn't want kids, is grossed out by kids, kind of quote-unquote bitchy, you know? And then the other daughter has, like, what, four kids. A perfect husband. Perfect. Well, not anymore. Quotes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, sorry, spoiler. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so I think that, I think there are a couple stereotypes there. But again, we do yeah, see right. we do see a deeper a deeper side of them, which I think is often missed in a lot of portrayals of women. You know, you 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 have you have that one woman who has children, is in love, et cetera, et cetera. Very soft, you could say, and that that hard woman who's who's only focused on her career. And I think they definitely create a depth to them. And I think that's purposeful to have one sister be one way and the other be the other, be the other way. way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it also kind of brings, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. I, I think it brings up the idea also that like any woman who's in a CEO position or a higher, you know, power position kind of is always portrayed as sort of like, like you said, like the bitchy person and can't have like an emotional side to them and always has to be on top of everything and kind of mean to everyone and kind of have like a fear factor in themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Wouldn't you say? Yeah. I feel like, I don't know, but I really love this show. And yeah. So, I mean, I kind of also wanted to just bring up an article that I was reading the other day. Um, and it's titled uh, Stories We Tell Ourselves, and it's about writing the mature female protagonist. Uh, the author is Susan Liddy. Um, and she basically discusses, I'm assuming those are her pronouns, but she basically discusses which, which films and how films construct the older female protagonist. Um, and there was some, like, super interesting statistics in there. And this article came out in 2015, I think. So, so I guess, like, Not recent, but pretty recent. Um, But in 2014, um, in 100 of the top grossing films um, and television, 12% of protagonists um, and major characters with um, had 30% of all speaking parts. And that's out of like 100 films. And then female characters also remain younger than their male um, counterparts. And so just 30% of female characters are 40 years or older compared with the 55% of male characters. So I guess you do see that. You do see, like, the older male character more. Yeah, there's definitely an inconsistency there. Yeah, and you always see them as, um, they're, I mean, they're always portrayed as, like, wise and they know everything and they're, like, really trustworthy. Wise and and intelligent as well. You often see them as the businessmen or the the, you know, intelligent, trustworthy, wise men that that these younger characters turn to advice usually, yeah. for advice usually. Yeah. And Whereas then, the women portrayed are are 
not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how many, like, younger, um, how much younger women have to be portrayed. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but so we just recently started watching this show called 911, and Connie Britton plays a 911 operator. And, you know, Connie Britton is. is so cheesy. Is, okay, it's cheesy. It's, it's not <laughs> just like some good television. It's, like, it's, it's so cheesy. good. It's just like guilty pleasure. You're coming home after <laughs> a long day, you just want to watch something. Anyway, Connie Britton is playing this 911 operator who, who obviously, you know, she's not that young anymore. And, and I think we all know this. Like, I'm not saying she's super old, right? But she's definitely, like, in her late 40s or something, which is not old, but it's older. Um, but I just think it's so interesting how they're trying to make her seem way younger than she is. Yeah. Like, they're always... They're not leaning into it. Yeah. She's always acting young and, and dressing really young. Like, her hair is always in braids, and, and her love interest is basically this, like, what, 25-year-old yeah. guy... Yeah. And it would, and, and it's like really, really romantic, but then they're kind of like making her seem way younger than she needs to be. Like, it's like why the can't elephant she in the be? room because yeah. you're kind of looking at it and it's, it's unavoidable to look at it in the sense that like, you're kind of wondering, did the, did the writers mean to do this? Yeah. Like, are, is she supposed to be younger? Like what's, what's going on? Like, it's that obvious. It's that obvious. So yeah. I, yeah, I definitely can see that. Yeah. I mean, why can't she just, like, be in love with a young guy and be her age? And there, I mean, there are so many movies where where the younger guy is in love with, with the older woman. I mean, have, have you seen Something's Gotta Give? No. Diane Keaton? No. And Jack Nicholson? I'm not going to keep saying no. I haven't seen it. Well, okay. Sidetrack, the... the there's a younger guy, Keanu Reeves, and he he's in love with Diane Keaton, and she finds it weird that a young guy would be attracted to her. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. Back to Grace and Frankie. It's a great show, and I think it portrays um, older female mature characters really well in the sense that it, it, it really is, like, kind of realistic. I mean, given they have a lot of money and they're, they're you know, protected from... And anything and they can do whatever they want but um I think that it it portrays them really well and allows them to explore their sexuality without it being at the expense of someone else mm-hmm. so go Grace and Frankie yeah go yeah thank you well, Tess thank you for being on this episode and talking about Grace and Frankie with me second portion of Sunday at 10 um, and in this section I will normally really dive into a bit more analysis of the topics that we covered um, on this day and talk about a film that's pretty much related to the topic that we're talking about. Um, Just really quickly I just want to say what a great discussion Tess and I had about Grace and Frankie. I really do adore that show and if you haven't watched it and you really enjoy sitcoms or just need a laugh at the end of the day, I highly recommend it. Um, 
So going off of our convo talking about the show Grace and Frankie and how the mature female is portrayed in television, I also want to really get into this topic of ageism in Hollywood and how the mature female is constructed um, not only in Grace and Frankie but also in the 2005 film Monster-in-Law. If you haven't seen Monster-in-Law, the film is about Charlotte Charlie Cantalini finally finding the man of her dreams, Kevin Fields, only to discover that his mother, Viola, is the woman of her nightmares, a recently fired news anchor who is afraid she will lose her son the way she has just lost her career. Viola becomes determined to scare off her son's new fiancé by becoming the world's worst mother-in-law. While Viola's longtime assistant, Ruby, does her best to help Viola execute her crazy schemes, Charlie decides to fight back, and the gloves come off as the two women battle it out just to see who the alpha female is. And that description is from IMDb. And let's get into it. So already in the film synopsis, you can find a lot of these recurring themes of this female character that is successful and intelligent but just really isn't in tune with her emotions um, and is a bit cynical. Um, The film starts with introducing Viola as an intimidating woman who has made a successful career for herself as a talk show host. However, Viola learns that she's being replaced by a younger woman um, just before she's about to do her last live interview um, with a pop singing sensation. Um, Viola immediately assumes that the singer is unintelligent and also assumes that she probably has no idea the significance of Roe versus Wade. Um, That's an actual quote from the movie. Um, The singer replies that she doesn't like boxing because it's too violent. Also a quote from the movie. This insinuates a sort of rage in Viola um, and she doesn't you know, the singer doesn't know what Roe versus Wade is um, or the significance that it has on feminism and the female body. Um, This causes Viola to physically attack the singer and it's on live television and you can imagine what happens to her career from there. So initially, we can already see that this scene really shows two different kinds of feminism, especially bringing in the Supreme Court case Roe versus Wade, which really shows the difference. Um, For example, Viola's feminism, which stems from the 1970s, um, when there was the stigma around feminism that it was selfish. Um, In the essay, The Selfish Feminist, written by Emotion Tyler, they discuss that, quote, For feminism in the 1970s, liberation meant nothing more than a rejection of home and family in order to pursue the the narcissistic goal of self-fulfillment, unquote. Tyler also talks about how the institution of the family needed to be open to scrutiny, dismantled, and reconstructed in order for women to gain any measure of social and political equality. What this means to me is that we really see this type of selfish feminism in, in well, you know, in the 1970s, but also in older women because this is the feminism that they grew up with, this is what they know, but you know, a lot of conservatives, um, and this was also brought up in in Tyler's essay, is that um, a lot of conservatives believe that this is really the only type of feminism that there is, that, you know, it's it's selfish, that women, oh gosh, (laughs) women have to be taken away from society in a way in order to be feminist. They can't 
be both. They can't be both a mother and a feminist and believe in equal rights. Um, So that's what basically Tyler's essay was about. But I think that we see this type of feminism presented in this initial scene of Monster-in-Law, even though it is a simple rom-com, you kind of have to start watching things through a feminist lens to really kind of see it that way. Um, And we see this when we're introduced um, initially to Viola's character. At least I see it now. Um, From then on, her character in the film um, is really the epitome of a feminist woman who was successful, um, but is now turned into this crazy woman who seems to sort of lost it um, or seems to sort of lose it on this new generation. Um, She also, I mean, the film is about her competing with another woman for the affection of another man who is her son. So it really goes back to these traditional ways where, you know, men or boys have to be mama's girls, right? That's who they are and their dads are tough on them. Funny enough, I don't think uh, Kevin's dad is presented in the movie. If he is, I obviously don't remember him. But it's really surrounding this idea that that he's a mama's boy and that, you know, he'll, you know, Viola is set on this idea that he will never leave her. And once she loses the one thing that she really loves, which is her career, um, she kind of freaks out a bit, I think. Um, and that's when she starts competing with Jennifer Lopez's character. Um, we also see this character now that I'm thinking about it in um, June Ra- June Diane Raphael's character Brie in Grace and Frankie and and we talked I talked a little bit about this with Tess um, Brie is successful and intelligent and freaking hilarious um, and she's presented to be someone who is also out of touch with her emotions and really cynical um, in life and about things that women are supposed to be emotional about, um, which is my sarcastic voice, if you didn't know by now. Um, what I didn't get to say in the conversation with Tess is that Bree's character is great in a lot of ways because she is very in touch with her sexuality and how she acts and how she dresses and things that she says and just who she is. Um, and honestly, she's one of my favorite characters on the show because she is such this sexual being that, you know, just seems so free. Um, and she's honest about, quote, needing a drink at the end of the day or in the middle of the day. And honestly, I really resonate with that fact. Um, and she's really honest about how she feels about starting a family and what she wants from her relationships. And, you know, but it's also presented in this way, like, oh, what happened to her that she doesn't want these long term relationships, that she doesn't want to be a mother, you know? So then you're thinking about that. Um, at least that's what Tess and I got from watching it. But um, yeah, so um, <laughs> after talking about these two strong female characters who are successful and have careers, which everyone wants. Um, we're still seeing the stigma of, well, oh, female characters can't always be successful and emotionally stable. I mean, please show me someone who has it all, right? Um, on the other hand, with Grace and Frankie specifically, are each of the female characters presented well, you know? In the sense that, does Grace and Frankie as a whole show... Um, show each woman struggle with success, with love, with well-being, um, is, are the female characters presented um, fairly and is there like a diverse 
um, characterization of these female characters. Um, you have Brie, who is successful in her career, but a bit more cynical. And then you have her sister Mallory, who is played by Brooklyn Decker, um, who went the more traditional route of being a stay-at-home mom. And um, then Grace and Frankie, who are sort of categorized together simply as being retired older women who find more success later in life after this, quote, tragedy that um, happens to them. Um, In my opinion, after my conversation with Tess, you really see it all in this show, I think. Um, And I think that Grace and Frankie really does show several dynamic female characters, you know, at least for a sitcom. But uh, back to Monster-in-Law. It is one of my favorite rom-coms, not only because I love Jennifer Lopez and Jane Fonda and together it's just, well, um, but, you know, it's a funny story. Um, However, now watching things in these rom-coms through a feminist lens, things aren't so funny anymore. So it's kind of a struggle. Um, But, I mean, the film is called Monster-in-Law, you know? And even though from the title itself, you can't know that they're talking about a woman being a nightmare in law, um, the entire movie is about women sabotaging women um, and being in competition for one man's affection. I also quickly want to touch on um, Wanda Sykes' character, Ruby, um, in the film. And I want to read a bit of um, analysis from this book, um, Women on Screen. Feminism and Femininity in Visual Culture, written by Melanie Waters. Um, Sorry, it's edited by Melanie Waters. She collaborates with all of these other um, researchers who write these essays um, and dissect certain films. Um, And this one was actually specifically on Monster-in-Law, which was super helpful um, for my research. But um, I want to just read this bit um, of this essay by Shelley Cobb. um, And she really captures who... Ruby is in the film, um, and I couldn't have put it better myself, so here are Shelley Cobb's words. Sykes' character plays on the long tradition of the sassy black servant, while also filling the role of the loyal and straight-talking ethnic minority friend often found in contemporary cinema, a role which predictably marginalizes the black woman, at the same time as affecting a liberal left critique of Viola's whiteness and privilege. Additionally, Ruby articulates the position of disbelief that the film expects the audience expects of the audience in response to Viola's claims that she has learned her lesson. Um, backstory: the lesson is that she's no longer insane, quote, uh, because she has these these views, you know, these outdated feminine um, feminist views. So, I think that that analysis really just kind of just said it out loud you know like that's literally what ruby is there for if you watch the film she's hilarious of course but because she is playing this sassy character who really is just aiding all of the sorry not all of the who's aiding viola um and her character and her development so really ruby has no role other than to just be there um, as support and as her assistant or servant, if you'd like to put it into those words. Well, that concludes episode one. 
Uh, that's all I have for you today. And thank you for listening. And look out for episode two uh, and a couple of exciting interviews that we have lined up um, with some super awesome women um, and more film dissection of our favorite genre, chick flicks. This is your host, Alex, signing off. <laughs>